The following content contains some explicit language that might not be suitable for children or Mormons. It's Thursday, December 15th, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, and I've been monitoring the revelations about the attempted overthrow of Germany. This plan concocted by aristocrat Heinrich XIII, Prince Rus, all members of his family named Heinrich, wanted to overthrow Germany, not the Germany you and I know and love, the functional country, but the Germany that he looked at, which is an illegitimate state because the allies should never have been there, members of the Reichsberger movement, which was started by a Wolfgang Ebel. Mr. Ebel wasn't doing well and getting all his uh, pensions paid for to his liking. So he declared his house a sovereign state, dubbing it the Commissariat of the Imperial Government. Great idea, said many others in the Reichsberger movement. They declared their homes and gardens sovereign states. And then this guy comes along, takes advantage of the nascent, I don't know how nascent, sentiment that the World War II was decided unfairly. We need to have our own government. He makes his fellow members, this is true, this came out in the investigation, sign NDAs, non-disclosure, you cannot disclose we're trying to overthrow the government because they aim to overthrow this illegitimate government, strip them of their ability to enforce all their illegitimate criminal and civil laws, except for NDA violations. We're going to keep those on the books. It's very important that our people who have been training underground and include a celebrity chef and an opera singer and a member of parliament, it's very important that we be able to uh, civilly enforce the fact that they cannot disclose they're trying to overthrow the government. Of course, the criminal implications of trying to overthrow the government might supersede whatever enforceable mechanisms there are on an NDA. You know what it reminds me of? There was one of the American terror cells, and terror cells are terrible, uh, but the FBI was involved in uh, trying to um, get them convicted. It worked. And part of this Miami-based terror cell was jumpsuits. They all wore jumpsuits. They were into jumpsuits. And just the jumpsuit detail... I think maybe undermined the legitimacy of their threat, also undermining the threat. And many people who are covering this sought to emphasize the threat by saying Heinrich XIII is also said to have visited Russian diplomats. So that's supposed to be very scary. But when it was first revealed that he tried to visit with Russian diplomats and the Russian diplomats rebuked him, I said, that's not in keeping with the Russian diplomats I know, the ones who would start a meeting and use a music promoter as a go-between with Donald Trump Jr. to talk about adoptions. Why wouldn't Russian diplomats take this meeting? Apparently they did. Unclear if Heinrich XIII said to them, if it's what you say it is, I love it. All the commentary within Germany is of the nature of, well, we know it's a clown car, a Dummkopfwagen. Actually, it's clown auto would be the German for clown car. Something of a clown car, but they have to also emphasize, well, we know it looks really ridiculous on the outside, but we got to take it very, very seriously. I will quote Jörg Schmidt of Sudendeutsch Zeitung which means, I think, South Germany today. I don't speak a word of German, or maybe I apparently speak too. It would be too easy to write these people off as crazy, as a weird bunch of conspiracy theorists, as people who we don't need to take seriously. He then had more to the quote, but no, I stopped there. He had me. Why ruin my love and appreciation of Jörg Schmidt? Then there was the member of parliament from the Green Party, Sarah Nani, who said, 
that while they might not have been smart enough to carry out violent fantasies, nevertheless, quote, no matter how crude their ideas and how hopeless their plans, the attempt is very dangerous. I won't say anything about the inherent danger, the virulence of the NDA-wielding group led by a 71-year-old self-proclaimed prince. I will just point out that no terrorist in jumpsuits have ever succeeded. On the show today, I spiel about a prominent Christmas song by one of the four best Beatles. But first, Daniel Sloss is a comedian of Scottish extraction. His last special, Jigsaw, was extremely popular on Netflix, so popular, in fact, that it inspired many. Inspired them to break up, which got Sloss thinking, am I a bad person? That is the theme of his new special, Socio, as in Path. Daniel Sloss, up next. Stand-up comic Daniel Sloss has been on this show before. I believe we talked about circumcision a lot. He's out with a new special called Socio. Socio. It's about him being, maybe he'll get into it, a sociopath. Hey, Daniel, welcome back. Thanks for having me, man. So this special, which I saw last night, uh, is just that. It's quite special. I love how you weave throughout it this through line of, I guess, an accusation that you've had your whole life, that you're something of a sociopath. Uh-huh. But did it come to a head when you did la- your last special, which was about relationships, which was accused of, and I think you quite proudly say, did break tens of thousands of people up? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think, like, because I was, when... You know, I didn't realize the impact that Netflix would have on my career. I also didn't, man, I didn't, I didn't really ever expect that show to break couples up. I thought it was, you know, it was just me complaining. It was just me getting out of a relationship, a bad relationship, and then being quite openly bitter about it. And then, yeah. you know, being my confident, condescending self. I am not saying it's impossible to find love. All I'm saying is that statistically, you have not. All I'm saying is if you're finding it hard to laugh at this routine, it's because deep down, you don't love the person you're with. So either start laughing or enjoy the awkward car ride home. And then when people started to break up because of the show, I found it so funny. Because I, I was like, oh my, that's so, I mean, great. It's, I, I believe it's healthy. Like, you know, I don't, think, I don't think I have the power to break up a good couple. I don't think you could sit like, an old lady and her husband who've been together for 60 years and you right. stick on jigsaw and like they've got 17 grand kids and 35 great grandchildren and then they watch my special and they're like oh no this kid's right i'll just break up with the love <laughs> of my life that didn't happen people who were in shitty relationships watched this and went oh you know what you're right i can i can do better um and and i was openly gleeful about that it's very funny man people divorced because of the show that's insane 
I don't know, maybe Chris Rock in the 90s or Mitch Hedberg, he could break up a good couple. I mean, the greats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that's hysterical. Um, so when it happened, all right, so it played out that how did people get in touch with you with the idea that we broke up after seeing and having a discussion from Jigsaw? Well, so the first signs was always like, man, when I was doing the show live, I, I could, you know, you can see the audience and you can see couples' body language change. Like during the show, you could see people like the, they come in with their partner, they start like their arms around each other and they're drinking and they're laughing. And then when I started getting into that bit, like you would see people physically move their hands and legs away from their partner. And then, so I, I started noticing that. And then people would tell me after shows because they would, they would break up or they would see the show and then they would bring a friend of theirs to see the show because everyone's got a friend who's in a relationship who, and you fucking hate that relationship you're like it's so like they've broken up three times already they're not good for each other you're bored of hearing about the fucking drama and they were just like i'm going to take you to see this show it's essentially the ring for toxic relationships and they would come and then tell me their stories and then i'd get like tweets about it and then and then it went out on netflix and then like in one day man i think on day one i got like two or three thousand through it was unbelievable i was just reading dms and stories and it was you know emails to the website and everything it was i i laughed so hard for like 16 hours straight <laughs> so how do you and and you cite the statistics i mean i would read articles about it and the numbers would keep going up there's an entertainment weekly article that said thirty four thousand relationships and in the special the number you cite is which oh god i mean i can't remember it was easier to sort of track the divorces because, I mean, those were so memorable. Those are uh, memorialized in court filings. So. Yes, court filings, which I have signed because they bring it along to be autographed by me, like regularly, <laughs> man. Like I had one show down in Manchester in England, and as I was in my car leaving to drive home, there was a knock at the window, and it was like the 17-year-old girl. And she was like, can you autograph these? And they were divorce proceedings. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, like you're, you look a bit young to be getting divorced. She was like, oh, no, these are, these are my dad's. And then, like, just over her shoulder, her father was there, just giving me, like, the thumbs up. And I was like, oh, congratulations. He was like, absolutely, man. Best decision I ever made. Thank you so much. And it's, you know, it's – so I would remember those. And then, I mean – So that process, uh, I could imagine it, it would play out. It could play out in a number of ways. But maybe there were moments where you asked yourself, am I – should I feel bad about this? Should I feel bad about this is the kind of question that maybe a sociopath might ask. Or actually, it's probably the question that someone who wonders if they're a sociopath might ask, but a true sociopath wouldn't even think to ask. But did that play into this lifelong question you've been uh, thinking about and hearing? Yes, because one like because because I was so very openly gleeful about all the people that were breaking up. There were people getting contact, being like, you know, how can you take so much glee, glee? Like, do you understand how hard it is to grow up with like divorced parents and stuff, and like people who come from broken homes? And I'm like, again, again, like you need to. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want to minimize that at all. I, that that's a very very valid point that person makes. By the way, I mean at least justified to myself is again, I'm not breaking up with the good couples, and also I think it is often worse to grow up in a home where the parents are just visibly staying together the kids aren't stupid man yeah. you don't want to you don't want to I, I don't i don't think you want to give your child the lesson that you should just stay with someone because it's the kinder thing to do or the easier thing to do i think the lesson should always be follow your heart and and and, and be good and kind you know have an amicable breakup um I don't think these people would want that. You know, they would would 
they would never want their kid in their situation to be with someone that they didn't want to be with. So, you know, uh, that's the, again another way I justified to myself. I'm like, nah. right? That's the word you use. I, I am agreeing, but also, I mean, it's a very good argument for a living. You make good arguments, good funny arguments, but mm-hmm. also good arguments. So it could be seen as a justification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also, and sometimes people go, you know, it is a bit sadistic. It is a bit sociopathic. And I'm like, valid valid yeah. and let's explore that and here's the thing mm-hmm. so many people did call me a fucking sociopath i'm like you know what let's double check you know let's find out if that is true that's you know the two i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be ignorant here like if seven doctors told me i had cancer i'd probably stop smoking like if most <laughs> like if most of my fans are like you're a sociopath i'm like okay well let's let's all just double check it's not like i wasn't like other kids but i've just i've always had you know, a much darker sense of humour. Um, and it did make me stand out. And lots of times in a good way. Like, I mean, my, my peers found it funny in, in high school. You know, I wasn't the funniest kid in class to the class, but the teachers often found me funny because, hmm. you know, um, I wasn't being I wasn't being a clown. I was being a smart, smarmy arsehole. And they, yeah, you they, weren't they, trying to ingratiate yourself into your peers, which would be no. maybe not a sociopath's task. You were just <laughs> letting it rip. And the teachers who probably disliked the very kids you were making fun of appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I know, I know it's a power thing because again, if you can make people laugh, they're on your site. It's, you know, it's such a easy way to get people to like you. Makes, make, hmm. If you make someone laugh or if somebody makes you laugh, you feel safe around them. That's a trust thing. So do you think humor is a, a cynical tool or is it a symbol of bonafide human connection? I, I think I think it's human connection. I, I I mean I think there's many answers. I think it's a coping mechanism, um, I, and that doesn't necessarily mean I think it's a health healthy coping mechanism. But it's like that's why you often find the imbalance between people who can joke about death and the people who can't. And 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 the thing is, both of those are coping mechanisms. The person who can't talk about it, their coping mechanism is I cry about it, or I push it down, or I go to therapy about it, or I think about them once a week and I visit the grave, or whatever it is. Whereas there is another group of people, my group of people, and our coping mechanism, let's talk about it and make fun of it at the same time. Because to us, being able to laugh at something reduces how powerful it feels over us. And I can understand from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like that. It just looks like a bunch of fucking sociopaths, you know, saying horrific things after horrific things has happened. It doesn't look like it helps, but I, it, but it does. Oh man, it's so cathartic. I often think like, surely the funniest jokes ever told in history had to be in the trenches of World War One and Two. Like we'll never know, we, you know, we, we won't know what most of them were, but I think the funniest things in the moment must have been said. <laughs> yeah. Like, so numb or, to it. Gallows humor. It's, you know. Gallows humor, Gallipoli humor. Exactly. Um, would you say that the very act of doing a special where for hundreds of people at a time and then thousands of people, uh, once it's, once they see it, uh, uh, on your website or just in the aggregate, is the act of a non-sociopath, by definition, just wanting to know this question and self-examination? Or I was thinking maybe it's a double bank shot where you want to give that impression. <laughs> and you yeah. really are a sociopath, but your sociopathy manifests itself by giving the impression that you're very worried about being a sociopath when you're not. Yeah, and it's all part of the illusion to make it be like, oh, but if I'm self-aware about it, then it's not part of the problem because that's one of the greatest lies. If you know something about yourself, then you 
you'll change it about yourself. No, no, no. You just learn how to, you know, repackage it or uh, reframe it. But I don't know. I, I definitely don't think I'm a sociopath. Like I, I, I cry too often at stupid things and too many emotional things. But I definitely think, um. I can, I can, upon self-reflection and stuff, actually, which again, through self, you can't sell, sociopaths don't self-reflect. <laughs> That's not, right. they're only trying to see how everyone else sees, you know, them. Through self-reflection, um, I definitely think different to a lot of people, but I also, you know, when I'm on stage doing these jokes, my audience is agreeing with me, but they might not enjoy the fact that they're agreeing with me. But that's that's the fun. That's the taboo of there being somebody on stage saying this horrible thought that we all occasionally fucking get. You know, it's, it doesn't mean you never you never act on it. It's, it's not a genuine thought. It's just one of those things that passes by in your mind. But it's a fucked up thought. And then somebody on stage is being like, hey, I also get these too. It's like, it's like a relief laugh it's like okay okay i'm not alone in that that's not something i need to worry about because surely we can't all be sociopaths these terrible unspeakable thoughts that's a fundament that is a building block of comedy and i've talked to different comedians who have different opinions on this but maybe some the expression of some of those thoughts is harder than let's say it was in 2010 which you know probably predates well actually as i do the math maybe it was right around when you started do you think that there's some of that going on that this is a way to introduce those bad thoughts without just being either judged for them or putting up that obstacle where the audience won't allow itself to laugh about them no no i no, i no, i think it's sharing i think but i think but i think it's sharing something dark with each other you know, it's like, okay, here's a bit of ourselves that we normally keep hidden away because we, we should. Because if we all said these things out loud all the time, it would be a horrific society to live in and we shouldn't. Yes. People can't act like this all the time. That's the, you know, you know, that's the that's one of the, you know, the illusions of fucking stand-up. Like, I can't, there's no way I could be my stage persona 24 hours a day. I would get knocked the fuck out regularly like i can't talk like that all the fucking time like it's um i th I think it's the 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 heightenedness of it is well i mean adds to the audience's enjoyment well you did trigger one audience member who probably came and since it was texas that could have gone really bad but yeah. uh you did trigger one audience member who i don't know if he heckled you you said something about trump and he didn't i didn't exactly hear what he said what what did he say he, he said i think i think it was and i mean it was difficult to hear in the room but it, it very much sounded like we love trump the mm -hmm. fourth reich will rise you're not entirely well i mean that's let's not fucking first of all none of this is going into the special the Fourth Reich, so he yeah, really yeah, yeah, was yeah. explicitly Nazi, yeah. Well, but, 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 but here's the thing. Man, I have heard some of the dumbest fucking heckles in my life in this job. <laughs> there, there is part of me that goes, like, man, vet, vet, there's a 95% chance that he's a Nazi because he said the Fourth Reich will rise, and that's a really Nazi thing to say. But because it's such a stupid thing to say, because it's so stupid, there is that part of me that goes, maybe there's a 5% chance... There's just some guy who fully missed the mark with a joke because this happens in comedy. People see comedians like Jim Jeffries and they see him doing like close to the bone jokes and they think they can do it, but they don't have the nuance of it. They don't have the craftsmanship, so they do it in a sledgehammer way. So the other part of me was like, I was like, okay, this guy's definitely just outed himself as a Nazi, but also maybe he's just 
a big, dumb, drunk cunt. You know, he's upset and he's trying to be funnier than me. So he's trying to be shocking because that's what he thinks I do is. Yeah. So he's doing my version, his version of what I do back to me, but with no grace or decorum. But I mean, I, I mean, I do think he was a Nazi. But in the special, like, don't worry, this isn't going in, which is logical. You probably, what do you do? Tape two of some, some comics tape two specials. We did, we taped two of those, yep. Yeah, and that's why, that's one of the reasons why you wear all black. It's easy to match your outfit. Yeah. But, so in the special, and the audience could see this, you say this isn't going in the special, but then, of course, we see it. Tell me about that thought process. When did you say maybe it should go in? Oh, I did not at any point. I got outvoted. I, uh... I uh, I got outvoted by my manager and by people that I trust. I I, I am I'm very very bad. I'm not a good judge of my own work. I am very okay. very self critical. Um, and but and also, man, I just get because I perform the show so much before I get rid of it, and because I do it for so long. By the end of it, man, I'm fucking bored of the show. And then mm-hmm. I, I went to my next show, and because it feels like I've shed this huge weight, my next show is so much funner because it's, I feel freer. I, and I just, I cannot look back at my old work objectively. Um, like I hate everything I've done. And I know that's not healthy. And I, you know, it comes up in therapy and I meditate about it. And, you know, one day I hope to be able to look back on my work and be like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm proud of that. But for the time being, I, you know, I like listening to myself back when it's new material, because that's me growing. And like, that's, the, you know, that's the, one of the greatest bits about stand-up is, you know, is the creating of it. So they they said this is going in and well yeah I mean she she, she said I, I think it should be in the show and I was like I don't because I I think it's because man I don't think it, my 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 retorts aren't brilliant like that's what that's what I was gonna say like online you'll see comic owns heckler and you didn't own the guy no, you my... very professionally got the audience they weren't never on your side but you did everything you need to do professionally but it wasn't an no, own I... and it wasn't a comedic highlight of the show. No, not at all. And 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 for me, like you know, I always like to you know the whole the whole thing. The whole again, the, one of the other illusions of stand up is, especially my stand up, is the the unflappableness. You know, yes. the 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 ego, the the standing there with my fucking chest out, and you know, I'm going to say what I want because nothing phases me. And I don't think my response to it was particularly good. I don't think it was bad. Like again, like I said, like you know, the, I. I you know, are there comedians out there who could have handled it better? Absolutely, but I, but I think I handled it well enough, but not enough that I would want it in the show. But other people who uh, I've, you know, friends and family who've known me for fucking years, or watched it, and they were like, "We think it should stay in. We think it's, you know, it's an interesting bit. Fucking, it's not the funniest bit, but it doesn't fucking need to be. Like, you know, my shows have never been, you know, laugh a fucking minute. Like when they're funny, they're very funny, but there's. Plenty of times when you're just listening to me wank myself off because I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> I totally agree with that assessment. And if I were you, I'd I'd say, well, it's not. Yeah, I'd have your exact thought process, which is I didn't own that guy. Yeah. Like it, maybe if I own that guy and that would reflect glory upon me. But it makes the show so much more interesting. It gives it more texture, especially with the way you do it, which is you're not going up there with the notebooks and so what else? It is tight. You know, even your comportment is tight. Your outfit is tight. You know exactly what you're going to say. And then this thing happens and it's just this uh, frisson of danger that you handled pretty well. And I think for the viewer, from my own perspective, I'm like, all right, all right I get re-energized. This is real. The stakes are real. This is, you know, he's really trying to make these points to a real audience and we're really getting to witness it. So I think your management shows well. 
I wasn't expecting that bit of the show to be controversial, man. Like, like I really felt like that part of the show was me as a whiny, pathetic, bleeding heart liberal. Like, being like, you know what, man? I agree. I'm shit. And do you know who else fucking sucked? All of my teammates. Like, I'm really trying. Like, for me, I was very much trying to be hand across the fucking aisle being like, I know I preach like a fucking liberal all the fucking time. And I agree with you. I am a douche and everyone on my team fucking sucks. So let's all laugh at them and laugh at me for a bit. Really trying to, because I think that's very important. It's so easy to make the people who agree with you laugh, right? That's so easy. I think it's important. My favorite comedians are the ones that are able to make the people that disagree with them laugh. I think that's such a greater skill. Like, but Bill Burr's a master of it. Like, I disagree with like fifty percent of the stuff that Bill Burr says, but I I laugh one hundred percent of the fucking time. I just can't imagine just sitting at home, just watching Netflix, being like, "Fucking God, this guy hates relationships." I bet he also hates the Jews. Like that's, how does your, how does your fucking mind work? Jesus fucking Christ, yeah. What an interesting gig. (laughs) Daniel Sloss, his new special, Socio, is out on his website of his name with a dot com at the end. Thanks so much. Man, thanks so much for having me. And now the spiel. I hope you're having a wonderful Christmas time. I hesitate to use the adverb simply because once I say simply having a wonderful Christmas time, well then I feel obligated to note that the the mood mood is is right, right. the spirit's up, or the word is out about the town to lift the glass and don't look down because now we're in the middle of a Paul McCartney song. It's a Paul McCartney ditty that uh, on the Not Even Mad show this week, my co-panelist Sarah DePerry nominated as her least favorite Christmas song, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. I guess she didn't like his synth period, some synth enthusiasts. That's how the synth enthusiasts refer to themselves. They love songs like Temporary Secretary. But anyway, the wonderful Christmas time, which I have no objection to, I countered with listen to the whole not even mad i'm not going to summarize every bit of discussion that we had like i said we really get into it from a left-wing perspective a right-wing perspective i'm not sure how that maps onto lennon and mccartney but we got into it when i said actually the bad beatles christmas song is this john lennon tune that i think really is worse than paul's and so this is christmas i hope you have fun the Happy Christmas, War is Over was issued in early 1972 when the Vietnam War was decidedly not over. The U.S. pulled out of Saigon in 1975. John Lennon imagined it might be over. In fact, he and Yoko bought billboards asking people to imagine the war being over. 
I don't know if military historians say that's what turned the tide. But he did recognize, and the one thing he actually knew about, how to write an excellent pop song, he did recognize that honey-dripped politics mixed with innocent lyrics plus catchy melody are the way to communicate a political message. In fact, the inspiration for Happy Christmas War is Over was Imagine. So Happy Christmas War is Over is so innocent that it gets the timing of the war wrong, and it also quite plainly gets the calendar wrong. Christmas, the new year isn't over, new year hasn't begun. Now, I know many people who understand the UK or in the UK are going to write in and say, you know, in the UK, we consider Christmas to be 12 days. 12 days of Christmas goes until January 6th. Yes, thank you for that epiphany. But the song wasn't recorded in the UK. It was recorded in New York. That's the Harlem Children's Choir in the background. It was released first in the United States. And the war in question was quite shamefully an American war, which wasn't over. Its melody's nice, certainly a nice song. Phil Spector heard it. He said, you know, the opening reminds me to the opening lines of I Love How You Love Me by the Paris Sisters. I love how you say yeah a little bit but i'll tell you what it really sounds like as a 10 year old kid living on the east coast we were bombarded with this every winter come back to jamaica come climb up a cool mountain what's old is what's new come let your spirit soar we want you to join us come reveling on spies faces we made it for you come walk up a waterfall so make it jamaica come skim the past of blue waters make it your come play now playground come back to jamaica by 1981 the war was over so we were asked to make it jamaica and why not Now, before you wonder if John Lennon's estate, I mean, that really does sound like the same tune, right? So you might be wondering, well, I wonder how the Jamaican tourism board, I wonder what kind of checks they were cutting at the time. It mostly went like this. All right, this one goes to Bob Marley. Here's another Bob Marley song. All right, we did use We Be Jammin' in that one ad. All right, we can make this one to Toots and uh, uh, Associated or various My Tiles, Peter Tosh, John Lennon, Yoko Ono. Wait, what? But no, that didn't happen. I revised those Irie vibes because the melody of Make It Jamaica and Happy Christmas War is Over, it goes much further back than that. It was probably in the public domain. Here are the Hollies, an English band that Lennon knew well. Both bands performed at the Cavern Club. They were on the same label. Here's the Hollies covering an English standard. His bridle was silver, and his name in was gold. From the worth of his saddle has never been told. The Hollies, in that very recording that I played you from the BBC. They cited a Peter, Paul, and Mary version of Stewball. His 
And before them, Woody Guthrie, Lead Belly, just folk, just traditional English troubadours saying stewball, which obviously became an earworm in the earballs of John Lennon. His Happy Christmas, War Is Over, was the first Christmas song to chart by a Beatle after the breakup of that band. McCartney's wonderful Christmas time wouldn't hit the charts until eight years later. In between was the George Harrison Christmas song, Ding dong, ding dong. George Harrison, a straightforward, pleasant melody, some bent chords, but not the ambition, not the filigrees that characterize the best of John Paul and the Beatles. Also, the lyrics repeat over and over again, ring out the old, ring in the new, ring out the false, ring in the true. How this was not interpreted as a veiled shot at George's ex-bandmate Ringo, ring out the false, it just shows that everyone cared about John Paul drama No one cared about the George Ringo obvious simmering resentment. This was just an audio glimpse at some of the Christmas music that we at The Gist have been contemplating. Tomorrow, Chris Malamphy will be on. He's fighting a terrible chest cold, and you get to be privy to that as we talk about the greatest Christmas songs of all time, which I will say probably do not include either Wonderful Christmas Time, Ding Dong, Ding Dong, or Happy Christmas, The War Is Over. But I will wish you, today, a happy Christmas. The spiel is over. And that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by assistant producer Corey Wara, senior producer Joel Patterson. Michelle Pesca is COO of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Ding dong, ding dong, and um peru, g peru, do peru. Thanks for listening. Come, make it Jamaica again and again.